Hello, Hofstra fans. Welcome to Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Pride Athletics. I'm Stephen Gorchov, the Associate Director of Athletics for Communications here at Hofstra, and I'm excited to be joined by my co-host, Mike Neely, our Assistant Director of Athletics for Fan Engagement and Ticketing. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm a Hofstra alum, class of 2010, and I've worked in the athletic department for six years, so I'm really excited to join the show. Today on our first episode of the year, we are joined by Mike Scudin, Hofstra men's lacrosse class of 2011. We discuss his life, career, and recent title with the Boston Cannons of Major League Lacrosse. Well, uh, welcome to Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Pride Athletics. Uh, we are thrilled to be joined by Mike Scudin, Hofstra men's lacrosse alum of 2011, uh, coming off his third Major League Lacrosse title this year with the Boston Cannons. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to be able to talk about Hofstra Athletics and the Pride and and what it uh, what what that was all about and um, where it took me. I'm you know very excited to be here. And uh, Mike Neely, uh, let's open up the questions with you. Uh, what do you got for uh, Mike Scudin? Yeah, Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, so you're from Long Beach, New York, originally. Uh, you have a name that many people are probably familiar with, especially in Nassau County, uh, in Scruton Surf. So why don't you just tell us about that connection and growing up in Long Beach? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, our name um, has been in Long Beach for a very long time, starting with my dad and my uncles. Um, but it was more towards uh, the swimming aspect of Long Beach. Uh, my dad and my two uncles were All-American swimmers. My older cousin at Long Beach High School was an All-American swimmer. And uh, they all continued to do that in college. Um, I was kind of, me and my brother were the first uh, land scootings, we like to say. I uh, jumped out on the lacrosse field. But, um, yeah, so scooting surf is more towards my cousins, Will and Cliff, the, uh, the big-time swimmers um, now. Uh, Will is on the big wave uh, world tour for surfing and Cliff is going out and surfing with him, but he focuses more on the camp and the behind the scenes aspect. So they run a full week length from Memorial Day to Labor Day week long surf camps in Long Beach. And uh, it's great for the town because growing up there, I mean, you surfed, you went to the beach, you worked the beach, everyone's a bike ride away. Um, and they do a really good job. And, uh, and my brother works there. My three other cousins work with them. Um, and then nowadays I got involved and we do a surf and lax camp where, um, we do half day lacrosse in the morning from nine to 12. And then they go and surf for the second half of the day. I mean, as a kid, that's if that was like, available. That's oh, I know. Yeah. That's what the parents say. It's like, you know, you go to lacrosse camp and you're like, all right, I could do the morning session. And then by 12 o'clock, I'm either sweating, I'm hungry, you know, I'm chafing. I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm done playing lacrosse. So what the kids do is they eat lunch and then the lacrosse counselors are done for the day. And then the surf counselors pick it up and, um, this year and last year, uh, Tim Holman actually ran it 
my college roommate, one of my best friends from Hofstra, does an incredible job. And we started it with me and Dinapoli ran it. Now, Dinap is in the city uh, working. So uh, Timmy is a teacher too. So he took over the reins for the summer. So when I come back down to Florida, uh, it's in great hands and, and Tim dominates it. Um, and the kids love it. We had, uh, we actually got to do it this summer with COVID. Um, it was impressive. It was the only camp offered. So we maxed out and uh, it was awesome. It was, uh, I mean, it's, it's four hours of lacrosse and then four hours of surfing. I mean, as a kid, it's nothing worse than that. <laughs> so uh, growing up in Long Beach, you kind of, uh, your whole life was around water. Did you uh, lifeguard every summer from the age of what, from what age? Oh yeah. So you start when you're, I think it's like, I want to say like fifth grade, sixth grade in a junior lifeguard program. And uh, that's just Saturdays and Sundays. And that gets you familiar with the water and the sweat, you know, the surroundings. And then you surf and you paddleboard and you do fake rescues and you do beach games. It's kind of like where parents just dump their kids and, yeah, you know, you go to the beach for the mornings and they get their stuff done and then you meet up in the afternoon. But, and then when you turn 16, the summer you turn 16. So that was, uh, that was my, after my junior year of high school, you, you start on the beach full time. And that's, uh, and a lot of, uh, young kids in, in Long Beach do it. And, um, it's a great, it's a great first job. I mean, you, you, it goes into your retirement. So if you plan on being a teacher, uh, you're knocking years off after doing 10 in a row on the beach. And then, I mean, you're going to the beach anyway, you might as well get paid and, uh, you save a life here and there. But other than that, you're kind of just hanging out with your friends on the beach. <laughs> Saving a life here or there. I mean, kind of just threw that in that. Yeah. I guess, uh, I'm obviously the job is something of, uh, you know, you are, I mean, you're probably certified in EMT and all, uh, CPR and all every single thing you need. And, you probably did save yeah. a few lives, I'm sure, right? I have a couple under my belt, but more than more of more of just regular days on the beach than those. Those are few and far between. And there's guys that I worked with or and girls too that don't even see that. The, you know, they'll work for 12, 13 years. And then you could be working a beach with a 16-year-old kid. And if it happens, it happens. And you know, it is what it is. But we just went to work and we went home and that's usually the crew you hung out with after work and you see them the next morning. And it was, it's a fun cycle for the summer when you're in it. And, uh, it, when you're growing up and kind of, as you get into the decision where lacrosse is what you're really good at and it's kind of the sport you want to move on to, how were you able to balance your summers at that point when you got a job on the beach as a lifeguard? And, you know, I'm, I imagine, your club lacrosse schedule was crazy going everywhere and anywhere to play. Yeah. So the, the club scene wasn't as big when I was in high school. Um, we just played with the local long beach team. We combined long beach and point lookouts. Cause we grew up with a lot of kids that went to Chaminade as well. So, you know, we, we added, you know, a ton of really good, you know, the Gibson brothers that played at Yale and, uh, Piazza, he played at Bucknell, and and we had kids that that from just our town and all growing up together. Uh, we would go to top tournaments and do pretty well. Um, but it wasn't like it wasn't like the every weekend thing. Like I don't know. And our you know the coaches probably didn't like starting things up 
in our town because most of the time you just wanted to go to the beach or you had something else going on, but it was just our dads. It's like our dads were like, all right, we're going to go to Maryland this weekend. Who's in? And we would do like two or three, maybe. Um, but that was the, the specialization. It's kind of only happened the last like five, 10 years. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like you see these kids and like they're playing every weekend in different States all summer. I don't know who's more drained, the kids or the parents, but like, it's insane. And like, we just, I think we, it was good. It was a lot of fun. You know, like we used it as a lot of fun and we, I don't even think we even knew we were getting recruited if we were at all. I mean, <laughs> we would just show up and play and then just go home on Sunday night and be at the beach on Monday. But that was, uh, summers were really cool. I mean, when, and then once high school got, you know, and you knew that's what you wanted to do. Uh, the mornings turned into more of like the working out, but I still, to this day, when I get training and I go back home or even here in Florida, I use the beach as, as my gym and I do all my speed and my footwork and all that right on the beach. So, I mean, we lucked out. I loved it. I mean, I mean, people moved down there. <laughs> my, you know, Mike can tell you from, you know, after it sends a lot of post-grad and, and people who work there. I mean, like, why not? I yeah, went home. There's a lot of people who work there too. Yeah. I mean, I, I went home this summer and the corner house on my parents' block is, I think, um, a cheerleading house. I don't know. They all had stickers. <laughs> so they all, you know, it's great. It's a, it's a, it's a really fun place. And I enjoy my summers when I go back home. That's great. So you're in high school. Um, you know, obviously you, you made the jump to Hofstra. So what kind of, as you're playing club lacrosse, as you're playing in high school, what then gets you to Hofstra, uh, you know, next? You know what? I don't even think, I don't even think Tierney saw me play a high school game, <laughs> to be honest with you. So he, he came in, I was, I was a senior in high school. So that was his, that was, yeah, that was his first year when he came after Donowski. Um, and back when I was in high school, the, the freshman, sophomore and junior days, uh, they called it the empire games. That was like the biggest thing to make. If you made the top 50 games, so it was the top 25 players from Suffolk and the top 25 from Nassau combined teams. And they played a game. If you made that game, you got somewhere. And I made that game my junior year. Um, and Calls started coming, but it was it was UMass and uh, Stony Brook, and it was Albany, and uh, and Hofstra was kind of not really there. But I grew up going to every home game. I was just a lacrosse kid. All my friends, they didn't, you know, they they did sometimes, but I was there watching. And a kid, my uh, my goalie, he's the year with me in high school he went to UMass and played, we would go to every game. I was like, yo, Tim, I'm coming here. Like, I'm going to make it happen. And I went to, I went to Dino and Ron Caputo's last recruit camp on the old Astro turf at Hofstra. And I was like, yo, I was my brother. I was like, yo, Ian, you're coming with me. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> We're doing it. We don't have to stay at the dorms. We'll come. If you don't want to continue, whatever. So I go out there. And there was a couple of recruits that were a year older than me that were coming into Hofstra that they made come to the camp. And I just made sure like 
I covered those guys. And I guess I made a good enough impression. And, uh, you know, but it was weird because, like, then Caputo and Donowski left. And it was like, okay, here comes Tierney. Amplo's still here. So he's, you know, he, he's, he's been watching. And uh, they gave me a shot. I, I went to Hofstra as a walk-on. I wasn't guaranteed a spot. Um, and I think, that, I think that really pushed me to, like, this is where I want to be. Don't blow it and don't get sent home and don't get your spot taken away because that would have been a waste of time. Yeah, so, you know, and that's that's funny what we, we were talking about a little bit. Um, and to go out of order, you know, you really developed, um, we were saying, from your freshman year more as a role player than anything else into an All-American, into the CAA Defensive Player of the Year. Why don't you talk about, you know, that transition, that development, that, uh, you know, change over those four years then, going from a guy who's, you know, not getting the looks, you know, that – you might want out of high school to come into Hofstra and not really short, you know, knowing what your role is going to be to where you get four years later. Yeah, no, it, it takes a lot because like, like everyone who comes, like everyone who goes to a D one, a D two, a D three school, they were the dude on their high school team. Right. And you see this all the time at every school. So you go into this locker room and there's kids that are 22 years old, you're 18 and you just came from being the man. Right. So you get there and you're like, oh, first practice, I'm going to be the man anyway. And these guys are developed lifting six days a week for three years already. So you really like have to take a step back and you're like, whoa, like, all right, where can I find my role? What do I really need to work on? And let's get as physically fit as I possibly can, because they're already ahead of me in that game. So when I went in there, I didn't have I didn't have like expectations like my expectation was to make the team the fact that I got to play and let alone start and I think eight or nine games that year um was unbelievable so then you know after that freshman year of of getting that time playing in a CAA championship game playing in a division the NCAA division one game at Homewood beating Hopkins when they were number one team in the country with Paul Rabel, Steve Boyle, Steven Pizer, Gavazdan, Mike Evans, you know, as an 18-year-old kid, you know, you learn a little bit. So after the freshman year, then that's when the expectations started, you know, start every game, cover the top attackmen, and, you know, get to that, get to that point where my senior year, I mean, I could have covered anybody and I was not going to let them touch the cage. And I was going to go out there and try to get you out of the game just erase you. And that was the mindset that all of us had that year, uh, being the number one defense in the country. I mean, to my, we had the, the best rope unit with Holman and Dinapoli and Mojica. No one midfields were wiped out and Kavazdan was the best goalie that year. And, you know, Corey Caputo and, and, uh, and Cody Celaya slid in perfectly and they did their roles and, I think we all had that mindset of no one, no one was gonna, no one was gonna, you know, show us up crazy, you know, putting the 15, 14 on the board, you know, they were going to have to earn it. And I think I learned that from when I started my freshman year until my senior year. And, and that, speaking that, of, Oh, sorry, Mike, uh, finish. No, that, that, no, that, that, you know, that just, that just fuels the turnpike fire right there. Yeah. Uh, kind of two different segues here. You've kind of touched on that 
season, that 2008 CA title, uh, people have told us it's kind of like one of the greatest games they've seen. Oh, uh, it is. Just, it it is. Overtime win, a 10-9 overtime win over Drexel. Um, the Obviously, the undersigns were on it. You, Stephen Benapoli, Tom Dooley. It's, it's really just a who's who of Hofstra lacrosse uh, legends. And oh, yeah. uh, can, can you take us through that game and kind of – Drexel was like 11th in the nation, so they were kind of building their own little thing at that point. Obviously, the history of Hofstra lacrosse is incredible at that point. What, 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 do you, what memories do you have of that game? So at first you got to set the setting, and, and Drexel's field is you're not allowed to leave the area, the parking lot, anything. They, they tell you that to start. So there's nowhere really to go. So the students and the fans are just lined on the fence. They're waiting for you to leave at halftime right out of the, right out of the locker room, right? And, you know, they're Philly guys. They're fired up, fired up. And we have Philly no, guys Philly on our guys team. Philly guys are good, Mike. Yeah, don't I know. Feed into, don't feed him into Steven there. So, but we had Philly guys ourselves and Mike Colori, right? So I'm sure Mike had buddies showing up, but rooting for Drexel, whatever. So the setting was just, it just was a different atmosphere I've ever been a part of. So like you said, there was, there's just Hofstra, like they were just Hofstra dudes that year, like, like Tom Dooley and the, Prif, you know, the Prifty brothers and the Unterstein brothers and, you know, just these big, you know, Connor Hagens, who I looked up to when I was a freshman, Con, you know, guys, people didn't even know names. Colin Stabler. He was like a six foot five lefty defenseman that, you know, he just popped out of nowhere. Super athletic. Jack Vivanetto, who's a SEAL now, he, he gets called into this game. So I didn't, I didn't really start this game. Jack Vivanetto comes in and starts because Drexel has this like six foot three, I want to say 255 pound lefty Canadian. So they were just like, all right, let's put Vivanetto who benches 400 pounds and just bump heads all game long. So that's what they did. I would have crumbled. I was, I wasn't even 200 pounds yet. I would have crumbled. So the game is crazy back and forth, back and forth. They were stacked and I think it, they took a little bit of a lead and I, this was the, I fast forwarded it to the end when I was watching over quarantine, we found the video and Mike Unterstein makes an amazing sideline, like prevents the ball from going out of bounds and like chucks it up in the air. And somehow someone gets it, shoots it, hits the crossbar and Dan Stein is just standing there and the ball pops into his stick with, five seconds left and he shoots it at a wide open net and he almost misses it. He hits the bottom of the crossbar, shoots down goal, go crazy. And you could just feel the field just got sucked out. Like everyone's excitement, just bang. You guys were down nine, seven in the game. Oh yeah. I, I think we were down the whole game. Everyone, all the Philly fans, they sobered up real quick, bam, tie the game. And then first face-off, first face-off, Joe Montemiro pushes it forward to Jay. And everyone's thinking, you know, Jay's won, I think Jay won like three overtime games that year, three or four, shooting from the point. And he skips it to Tom and, and Dooley doesn't miss within 
seven yards. So that dog pile was pretty amazing on that field. <laughs> um, so you guys win that. Obviously, that sends you the NCAA tournament, of which you played in four NCAA tournaments in your career, which is remarkable. Yeah, four, in a, uh, four, can, in a, four in a row. Four in a row. Remarkable. And we'll touch on that in a minute either also. But we wanted to get into um, – I, I don't know when it started. I'm sure it's kind of just goes year after year, error after error. But this uh, Hofstra lacrosse turnpike mentality, uh, at what point do you learn about it? What, what does it mean to somebody who's been a part of the program for so long? And kind of if you could walk like a Hofstra fan who may not have heard of it, but it's something you guys really adopt as a as student athletes once you get to campus. What what is the turnpike mentality mean to you? Yeah, it means everything. I mean, I still follow that today when I'm still playing. And that's that's given to you, you know, that's preached right when you get to school. I mean, it starts with the you know, Coach T always talks about it. It starts with the little things and and the little things of, you know, move-in day for freshmen. There are the seniors are there helping you move in no matter what. They're there. And they're helping you and your parents move stuff in from the car, setting up your room, you know, just getting everything situated because it's, it's a family and that's what they preach. And it's the term, you know, it's the term Pike family. It's, it's, you go to battle with the guys that you're playing with, no matter what, you know, those seniors didn't have to be in there on moving day, but they were there. They don't even know who you are yet. And then, you know, when you get in and you start playing and in the locker room and in the weight room, it's just kind of who are you going to out tough? You know, like who in your mind, like, all right, I'm, I'm get I'm going to beat this guy in the gym today or sprint wise. I'm, I'm going to outrun this guy or crush these times and make the strength coach mad because we're just dominating what he's telling us to do. Um, and it's, and it's the, the, the physical toughness and it's the mental toughness of, I think, you know, it kind of, it's like, you know, they, I feel like Hofstra back in the day was just a bunch of recruits from Long Island and guys just scrapped it up and and they took them at Hofstra and they ran with it. And I think that's what they, I think that's where it kind of started, you know, and, and that's the mentality. And it just went off from there. It just went and, and, you know, every, you know, it's funny because like you meet guys from other team and they're like oh, the Hofstra guys, and it's kind of like we're grouped. Which De- Coach Donowski even talks about it now when you see him, and he's been at Duke now for 14 years, and the turnpike mentality still means everything to him, uh, and he's probably kind of moved it down to Durham, North Carolina, a little bit. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and and it's it's I like you know turnpike mentality, and I tell my guys down here down in Naples is, is, is very, it's very blue collar. It's, you know, Hofstra, I, you know, it started like guys and nothing against the, the, the Maryland and the private school and all of that more power to them. But like, it's a lot of guys who like, you know, parents are grinding and, and they're at school and, and they're grinding and, and they're paying their own tuitions and, or they're, you know, taking out loans and paying their tuitions. And, and then when you get to the field, it's it's the same thing. It's like those guys on the other team have taken it away from you, and you got to go out and, and you grind it sixty minutes, no matter what. And uh, I think that's what I, I think that's the, that that's the true Hofstra mentality. It's just blue collar. No one's going to out tough us. No one's going to come to the Hempstead Turnpike and show us up on our field. I think my four years, I only lost there four times, maybe five. Um, 
And, and that's, and, and that's what to this day they preach. And I'm sure Dino takes it down to Duke and, and, you know, you saw it Amplo did out in Marquette. That was, you know, they, they scrapped it up and now at Navy, I mean, you know, and then coach T still preaching it at Hofstra, I think. And with Gorman, who he's an ultimate turnpike guy. Um, I think, yeah. you know, it's, it's an awesome mentality to play with. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and uh, speaking of ultimate uh, turnpike mentality guys, like to pay, obviously it's the ultimate compliment to say you are a turnpike guy. If you, you know, played at Hofstra, uh, you and you from your era, guys like you and Steve DiNapoli kind of look at that. They, you both kind of look at that, like that kind of turnpike mentality. Like you said, you came in as a walk-on, developed into an all-American CA defensive player of the year. DNAP has developed into a, you know, he's, he's wearing a gold medal now. He's playing in the PLL. Are, oh, yeah. Do you kind of view people like you and DNAP as that mentality, really, you guys personify it? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, lucky enough, we're the ones that are still playing. And, and but the, you know, we are playing, so we're going to play with that chip on our shoulders and we're going to take that and run with it. You know, uh, I talk to DNAP every day. You know, he was in, you know, he was in my wedding. He's one of my best friends still. And, and I just know how, how his mind works. And when he goes out on that field, no one's going to outwork him. He's going to be in better shape than everyone else out there which is easy for him. Um, a little harder for us of other guys, but he, uh, you know, he just grinds it. He's a grinder and, and you could see it too. Like, you know, Kevin Unterstein's still out there playing D midi and, and Dinev's playing D midi and that's just the grinding spot, you know, and we, we definitely like to use that together. And I, you know, I don't want to take away from anyone else in our class cause they were all great players and Jay played indoor and Jamie Lincoln played indoor and, um, but we just, if I'm going to play, I'm going to still use that. And I know that Dean up is the same exact mentality. That's never going to leave him. Yeah. And Mike on the topic of the Hofstra family and, and kind of everybody's mentality, you know, we talk about the Hofstra family all the time. Um, you know, especially in the athletic department, um, you know, how it stays with you. Well, you know, you mentioned him before, um, in Mike Hallory, but, you know, obviously with the Headstrong Foundation, um, there's a very special relationship with Hofstra. And you've kind of been there from the beginning almost uh, with that relationship and, and trying to spread the good word of Headstrong. Can you talk about that for, a little, you know, for a little, what it means to you, what it means to the program, how it, you know, helped fuel you, you and the team and that sort of thing? Yeah. So I think right when you get there, the turnpike mentality is preached on you. And then the story of, uh, of Nick Kyle Laurie is preached on, you, you know, and they, they, they show us the special video in the start of each season and, and the Kyle Laurie family is great enough to come around still and, and talk to the team. But when I got there, uh, Mike was a, uh, Mike was a junior. So I got to be there two years with Mike and, and every year, I mean, it's just, uh, it's incredible what they're doing for the foundation. And, and when you're part of the, the team, you know, you just feel, you know, you feel a little pride about it and, and you really want to see them do their greatest. And they, they really do do their greatest and the headstrong, you know, those tournaments started when we were at Hofstra and, you know, they were, 
they were crazy big. I mean, Cascade was sending us headstrong helmets and jerseys and gloves and sticks. And, um, and that just all went to the benefit and we, you know, raffle them all off. And I think Nick's story is just, he was the ultimate blue collar player. He was another walk on who came and earned his spot. And, you know, he didn't take no for an answer, even when he got sick and he came back and he was ready to play again. He didn't, you know, he didn't care. And, he was going to beat it no matter what. And he did beat it. You know, he did beat it. And that's what, that's what we take at Hofstra from, from the Kellogg family and the Headstrong Foundation. And it's, it's really good stuff. I, you know, I love it to this day and I see it around the neon green and the, and the bumper stickers and the t-shirts down yeah, here. It's amazing Florida, what so. it's developed into nationally. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, uh, it's, um, it's something that will stay with me forever and, and really honored that we got to play with Mike. Didn't get to play with Nick, but, you know, felt like he was a part of the locker room no matter what. And, uh, Mike, you kind of, as your career developed, you've talked about coming into Hofstra as a walk-on, but you left as an All-American, an academic All-American, the CA Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, as a player that becomes that star player, you know, as you develop – what, what was that like as your junior and senior year as you, you realized how, how really good you were becoming and had become? And then in, in kind of the same question, the, the program itself, you know, was at that point you, you ended up playing in four NCAA tournaments uh, during your career. But what, what kind of individually is that like as you develop? Well, first, the, the scholar All-American just is hidden by the fact that I was a PE major. So we keep that on the down low. Uh, don't, don't put yourself down. Come on. But but I did have to take all the biologies and the kinesiology and the exercise physiology and student taught. So I w- education. Come on. I, 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 it was, it was the perfect for me, you know, took my health, all of that. But, um, the individual success was, I mean, I didn't, you know, like I didn't find out about all those awards until after the year, my senior year, uh, or like right before the playoff game. So, it was, it's never, it was never about like, let's get my name on a plaque. Um, I just don't think that's how I was raised. And I don't think that's how the team was. Um, I played with some really good players. I mean, Kavazdin made me look good and, and, and everyone else did. And my junior year, I was got to play with Scuderi and those guys who were absolute animals. So I just, uh, I never really like felt it. Like I just kind of like I, well, I broke my hand, my going into senior year. So that summer I broke my hand and I couldn't play all fall. I'm not going to tell the story about that. And then. That's a good idea. Yeah. And I didn't get to play all fall. I didn't get to work out. I was in a cast over my elbow. I hung out with Sully more than my friends and I get my cast off. Right. And it's like winter. And I'm like, I'm going to go out there and run a little bit. I'm like, I'm like 15 pounds overweight. I'm like, oh my God, this is bad. <laughs> like, I can't go out like this. Right. So I remember Ample sitting me down. He's just like, yeah, you got to figure it out. He's like, I got guys right now. You better figure it out. So from that time on, I, I just couldn't let that be the ending of it, you know, and, and we had such a good team. And I was like, I can't let these guys down. So I just got in the best shape I could. And, and I, I think I just, I took care of my body enough uh, that 
during the season, like, I don't know. I think I could have matched feet with anybody out there and, and got to play against some really good attackmen that year and uh, some really good teams. And uh, the accolades just came afterwards. I mean, I still remember Tierney calling me. I was at my house just hanging with, with Dean App and Holman, you know, probably watching a movie or something and calling me. He was like, oh, thanks. You know, like, send me the plaque when it comes. <laughs> uh, it is what it is. I'd rather have won four first-round NCAA Division One games, but I mean, to play in four straight is pretty sick. We're the only group to do it. Uh, my 2011 group. Um, all the away games, though, we couldn't. Our senior year, if we didn't, if we didn't get upset by Delaware in the semifinals, we would have, uh, we would have hosted that first round game. Instead, you know, of course, the NCAA committee sends us to Hopkins like they always do. So we we went there and. We got to play at Maryland and at Cornell and, and at Hopkins a second time. So it was great experience. We just, you know, we just, we were just a second behind, just, just a bummer on a couple takes here and there goals here and there, but we were right with them. I mean, we upset teams. I mean, we beat, you know, big time teams. I mean, we, we beat UMass that year, 2011. They were number, I think it was like 12 in the country. And, I always bring this game up because the goalie is one of my good friends from high school and beat him like 13 to three. I was like, it wasn't even a game. So we had the, we had it, but we just couldn't close on it. A couple of things went wrong that game and you know, it's all good. It's you all closed good. then the season though with those accolades. Yes. Close. Yeah. And then <laughs> you get drafted into the MLL. Yeah, well, actually, I did The supplemental get, draft, right? Yeah, yeah. So that collegiate draft passes, yeah. and I didn't think much. I didn't think at all. I mean, see, the, the draft was in December. No, it was in January back in the day. So they didn't let you play your senior year. So whether that had changed the board or not, I don't know. But the supplementary <laughs> draft came, and I was picked number 100. There I was going to say, you got triple Lucky digits. Enough. Yeah, right. That's like you hide that fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, not now. Not now when we're, we're going to talk about the career you had. It's like round ten as well. Like round. So, 10. so right. So you hit. You play the 2012 season, and you're playing with a couple of different teams. Uh, you start your career off with the Lizards. Um, you played with the Outlaws and the Cannons as well. Um, you know, but you took. You know, so tell us what the transition was like uh, going from playing in college uh, to playing in the pros against, you know, kind of everybody at a higher level. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was cool. I mean, I remember that one that that first summer uh, where I wasn't playing. I, I went when uh, I think it was the Bayhawks were playing the Long Island Lizards because DNAP was on the Bayhawks. And I remember sitting up in the stands and. It's like, damn, I could play out there. No doubt in my mind I could be out there right now. So then the supplementary draft came and just threw my name in the pool. And uh, and Joe Spolina gave me a chance. And I thank him to this day for that. Um, so I think it was more of a – I think it was more of a pick of uh, he can make every practice. He's a local guy. <laughs> but I took that and ran with it. You know, I went to camp and, and earned a spot on the practice squad to start the season. And like, like Hofstra, I mean, I just went out every practice and it was just like, I picked the, you know, whoever, whoever was the dude 
just go and play them. And, and if you got beat, you got beat. At least you were going 100%. Whether you're going to get your chance or not, that's up to you. So oh, you brought the turnpike mentality. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I mean, I tried my best. And it was nice to have, you know, Kevin was there. Um, so just a familiar face just out on the field, you know, giving you a little insight and whatever. But I think that year we like, I think we they went out to like I didn't go on the first trip. They went out to Denver, and I just didn't go our way. And then I remember after that game, just after the next practice, getting the call in. It was just like you're going. And went down the to Charlotte, um, and played every game. Played every game since. <laughs> it was uh, it was cool, man. It was uh, it's it's a change. It's uh, you know, quick weekends, flights on Fridays, practice Friday night playing a game Saturday, flight home Sunday, you know, and then work on Monday, whatever you had going on. Um, so it's, it's, and then you have to work out on your own. There's no strength coaches, you know, you don't have trainers during the week. So if you get banged up, you got to figure it out. Um, but it was, it, the change was awesome. It was, uh, that summer was a lot of fun. And I, uh, I got to play with uh, Matt Gibson got drafted that year from Yale and we grew up, our family, friends and we grew up playing on that youth team back from long beach so we got to play together and it was that was really you know surreal to do that with matt um go on yeah yeah you uh so obviously you've had an ex very extensive professional career now after you know you kind of just got into it in 2012 out of the supplemental draft and we'll get more into this year's tournament which is obviously why we're you're one of our guests uh, but you, you've had incredible amount of success in the MLL as well. Uh, three tournament, uh, three titles. Uh, what what kind of have you uh, learned during your years playing in the MLL that has kind of allowed you to find your success at a professional level? Yeah, what yeah, what I learned re early on was like you really do have to take care of yourself on your own. Uh, it's tough, and and a lot of kids come in and and they're not used to, you know, playing on a weekend, working out during the week on their own and then playing again. So what I really tried to do was take care of my body, you know, on the weekly basis. And then when those games came around, I mean, that, that mentality, that turnpike mentality switched on and it was just, it was a brawl. It was, you know, games where, you know, like you really do get a little bit away with some stuff in the pro league, which is to my benefit, I think. Um, and you just learned the game, you know, you learned, you, you learned how to play and it was, uh, it's been a great, great run. Um, I don't know if it's over yet. I don't know, but, uh, New York winning the championship was, I you mean, thought it was, gonna, you thought it was over for you once already and you came back. Well, so. well yeah, I, I get to that. I mean, we, you know, we won in New York that year and that team, I mean, stacked top to bottom. I mean, PLL guys, MLL guys now all on that team. And then the next year, um, they brought in a guy and I didn't get to play the first game. So wasn't the happiest, but Denver reached out. They needed a D guy. So I said, yeah, send me out there. And we were in the bottom of the league. I think after like six games, five games, I think we were like one in four. And, uh, yeah, we didn't lose after. And then we played in that championship game. And we won that one. 
And then I get home and my wife and I, we were just dating at the time. I was teaching at a local Catholic school, but she just came out of college and couldn't really find that full-time gig and went on like the teaching website for like indeed.com and like this little school popped up in Bonita Springs, Florida. Where is Bonita Springs, Florida, right? The West coast of Florida was at the Gulf of Mexico. So we jump on Skype and the principal, like she's talking to him for like 15 minutes, principal officer job right away. Like, Oh, you want to come down and teach? Amazing. She's like, uh, well, I kind of have to like, got to give a job to my boyfriend. So I get on Skype for like 10 minutes. I go to school for PE. I come down here. I'm teaching fourth grade math and science. I'm like, Oh, this is great. But it was, uh, so that was like, that was the summer. So we won. We actually, we played and clinched the spot in the playoffs. And then that next weekend we were in Denver and, but that was the weekend we were moving. So I didn't go out to that game, took everything from Long Beach, jumped in the car, moved down to Southwest Florida, had a condo set up. And then the next weekend was playing in that semifinal game. So after that final game, it was time to kind of just settle down here, you know, kind of just get things going, got engaged, got married. Um, and then uh, last year I was a part of the Florida launch and then they canceled and then Boston picked me up and coach Quirk gave me a shot and I went up there and it's been great after that. You know, I don't have any regrets about stopping those two summers and I don't have any regrets about starting back up. And it led me to a third ring. <laughs> so yeah, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause it's a, a, a little bit of a different year this year than any of the others you played in the MLL, right? Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. So you, you, you know, you're playing last year. It ends, you know, playing with the cannons. It ends, everything hits, you know, sports leagues cancel, you know, seasons that canceled changed. I believe the MLL a couple of times, you know, pushed back the start of their season, you know, so tell us kind of what you were hearing, uh, you know, and then kind of what you were doing where you get yourself ready just in case, you know, and then you get the call and you, it's probably like, hey, we're going to start playing in less than a month. You know, are you ready to come to Maryland? So kind of bring us, get us through that to as you're getting into Maryland. Yeah, no, it was, it was wild. The winter was, the months of December and January were, all right, we're going to do camp regular season that's one of four things you know february and then right it really got crazy in that that march month so that march month i think it went from like no season to they were going to specifically play in northeast cities to two different stadiums maybe to nothing and then all of a sudden you know, the bubble popped up and which I think is the best way these sports are all doing it. Um, and it was just like, all right, you know, we're going to go down to Annapolis. We have to pick our lineup. Now you got to let me know if you can come here for 10 days. Um, so we were actually in long beach for those months. Um, and it was nice cause, uh, my wife, Nicole got to be with my family and her family um and we have a dog too he came with us and then i just drove down to annapolis 
um, did the 10 day bubble and then, and then she met me and we went back down to Florida, but the mental aspect, it was so weird. It was like, get to Annapolis, two hour training camp on Thursday, two hour training camp on Friday. And you're just playing games. It was like, it was, it was like a summer camp. It was like a lacrosse summer camp, which was, uh, you know, they, they did a great job. The bubble was, you know, the Western hotel really hooked it up. Uh, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, no complaints, you know, got a room to ourselves. You really did feel like, you know, if you were one who didn't want to see anybody, you could have made it that you didn't see a soul, you know? And, uh, you know, you really did quarantine and you popped up when boss, when the shuttle was ready to go to the game. And then, you went from the stadium back to the hotel and that was it. Yeah. So what was it like playing then without fans and, and kind of how do you get yourself ready for those games that you probably haven't played in like that, you know, for quite some time? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the game of lacrosse, like you get fans, but it's, it's not like the difference of like, you know, the Yankees playing at Yankee stadium without fans right now, you know, like, it was weird. I think the, the weirdest thing was like, you heard everything, everything. Their coaches on the sideline, their players on the sideline, our players on the sideline, the refs, people chiming down on the other side of the field. And it added a little bit of excitement to the game through that. Um, but other than that, I mean, you just played the game. They played music in between timeouts. It was uh, the only thing that was like, it was tough to, to, to do was like we, we couldn't use the locker rooms, which, you know, I can see why. You know, you're not going to individually clean each locker after every game. There was three games a day. Um, that felt like, you know, we, we got dressed as a team in our, in our area, but it wasn't a locker room. Um, that was like the only really feel different part. You know, we took the shuttle over as a team. We, you know, warmed up, played the game, got on the shuttle and went back to the hotel. And that's just like another – MLL weekend. Um, but the championship game, they let us use the locker room. You got that feeling, that back into a feeling. But I mean, after what Saturday was like there, Sunday was, was nice. Yeah. And you said that you brought up that championship game. Uh, obviously it was such a compact, uh, week or so of games. Uh, and then you go into that championship with obviously everything that transpired that weekend, but what is championship like? Does it just feel like a normal championship game? And the moment you realize you're winning it again, kind of can you walk us through that that championship moment for yourself? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to treat, you know, I've been in three of them. I like to treat them like any other game. What I do before games, you know, I don't change anything up because of the day or, or what, what game means. Um, but, well, yeah, when, when the time was running down and we were up and, and, um, you know, Denver did, a, you know, they messed up on their play, whatever, and they threw the ball away and that kind of sealed it. Um, it was a great feeling. I mean, you're there for 10 days. You might as well win it, right? If you're not going to win it, it was, it's hard to tell yourself that it was, it was, you know, I don't want to say it wasn't worth the time, but like it feels way better to walk away winning it than if we didn't, um, especially making it to that Sunday. But I was just super happy to watch all the younger guys get to celebrate their first. I'm pretty sure other than I think Mark Cockerton on our team has one, but other than that, they're all young guys and 
they were all fired up and picking the trophy up and jumping up and down. And I was just so happy to watch them do it. I mean, I think I was the oldest guy on the team by like three or four years this year. So I was super pumped for them and it was really cool to see. And, you know, I still got to, you know, pick that trophy up and that doesn't get old. That doesn't, I mean, we could have played one game and it could have counted as the championship, but it's an awesome feeling. And that's what, that's what brings you back. Right. It's like, it's like when you play around the golf, you could stink the whole time. And then you play that 18th hole and you hit a good drive. You're like, well, I'll play tomorrow. Sure. Why not? Absolutely. You know, you win that. Far the last hole to shoot a 120 and you feel great, right? That's it. Right. You probably lost 30 balls beforehand, but that one feeling brings you back. So that one feeling is super cool. And so uh, Mike, you're living in Benita Springs now. Yeah. You're a phys ed teacher, like you said, uh, and you're coaching at Naples High School. So you're coaching lacrosse. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Uh, you grew up in Long Island, like you said, and, and you know, the lacrosse hotbed of the world, um, probably, you know, how lacrosse and coaching lacrosse in Florida is compared to what you experienced in Long Island. It's eye-opening. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely eye-opening. Definitely had to take a step back. Um, because on Long Island, I mean, I was the assistant at Southside and the head coach at Hicksville before coming down here. And you don't have to do certain things, you know, guys just know from youth and middle school and whatever it is. Um, but down here, I mean, it's, it's, it's step one with, with any age group, um, including high school. So I took the Naples high school job and, uh, it's, 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 it's brought me back to like really being able to teach the game. You know, you can't, you don't lose that on Long Island, but you don't have to do it as much. Uh, hop and lacrosse is more X's and O's for coaches down here is like one, you're, you're recruit, you're not, you can't, you know, you're not recruiting. You're going to your own school and you're getting kids who maybe didn't make the baseball team, maybe don't want to run track and, or play tennis or something, you know, something like that. And you, you show them the lacrosse stick and, and you try to get them to play. And, you know, my assistant coach, uh, Dan Renz, who just lives down here, is a really, he's really good at that. So we get kids to, we get kids to play. But, you know, it's, uh, it's it, like I said, it, it, it's eye-opening and I had to take a step back. But I think I'm really starting to enjoy it. Um, you know, like between all of the, the schools that we play, you know, like one of the, one of the local high schools, like one of the midi, he's going to Maryland. So there is skill down here. Um, but mo- a lot of it is, uh, it's getting there, you know, like, like Naples, like yeah, I've yet to tap into it, but I'm getting pretty, you know, friendly with the football coach. I mean, they, they send kids that running back went to Clemson, two D backs went big 10, the tight end went to Miami. Like there's athletes, but you know, I just got to show them the game. And, and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's more relaxed. It's, it's a lot more fun. No spring break, no weekends, but, uh, the kids love it. They love it. And, uh, it's been a revelation for me for coaching, which has been nice, which has been nice. Mike, it's been an incredible hour kind of reliving your career. You're growing up in Long Beach and kind of talking about your professional career as well. Uh, we're going to end with some, uh, quick hitters, you know, put you on the spot here. Uh, you don't know what questions are going to come, but we're going to kind of see, uh, uh, there's no wrong answers, but you got to answer them. Sure. So are, are, are you ready? Yeah. 
All right, yeah. let's start. Let's let's start with an easy one. Let's uh, favorite uh, f- favorite teammate at Hofstra. Oh, uh, oh man, Freddie Catney's. All right, let's go. Um, best player you played with. Best player you played against. All right, uh, best player I've played with is. Uh, I'll say Benapoli and the best player I played against. Um, I always struggled covering Jeremy Baltus at Army. Um, all right. We got another favorite uh, spot in Long Beach of any kind, whether it's a restaurant or a beach or what is it? Oh, that's, the, that's, that's easy. That's the beach house. That's, uh, that's my staple. Uh, okay. You're, you're doing pretty good so far. You didn't, you're not, uh, you're not, uh, you're not trying to like tap out on any of these. Do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite book or a favorite movie? I'm not the biggest reader, which I should, you know, which I should, uh, favorite movie. Um, I, I, yeah, you know what? It's weird. I like the ones they replay on AMC. So I'm a big independence day guy. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, I guess um, two Hofstra-related ones to end here. Uh, do you recall a favorite spot on campus? Don't say the locker room. <laughs> uh, I like the I like the PE the Hofstra Dome over there, man. It's our own little spot. All right, and last one. I think I know the answer because it's pretty obvious, or maybe I don't. Uh, favorite all-time victory during your Hofstra career? Uh, all right. I have two. The CA, 2008 CA championship game. And then 2000 and, oh man, what year was it? 2011, we played Hopkins at home and we beat them 14 to six and then they took us off their schedule. So I'd like to see uh, Hopkins renew that little rivalry. Uh, they hated coming to Long Island. Uh, well, Mike, it's been, uh, incredible. Like I said, an hour, uh, me and Mike, uh, Neely, thank you for your time. Uh, we're, we're proud of all you've accomplished and we, uh, congratulate you on the MLL title and all your successes. Uh, Mike, you have any closing words? No, that's it. Thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, we haven't even gotten into this, the morning hoops, uh, stories, but we'll save that for another one. I was going to say, my, I said, I was going to say Mike Neely's got a mean jumper. <laughs> Well, I don't know on, about that one. Yeah, on that note, because I, I, I know the truth there. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. Uh, Mike Scudin, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you once again to Mike Scudin for joining us on today's episode. As always, follow us online at gohofstra.com and on social media at Hofstra Pride.